welcome to Digital Health Unplugged, and I'm very excited to say it's our first ever all-women panel. I'm Andrea Downey, I'm Senior Reporter for Digital Health, and joining me today to talk all things rewired, diversity and inclusion, and leadership are some of our amazing speakers from the show. We have Professor Julia Riley, the Clinical Lead at Coordinate My Care and a Consultant in Palliative Medicine at the Royal Marston NHS Foundation Trust. Hello. <laughs> uh, we have Yinga McKinday, Program Director at DigitalHealth.London and also a trustee for the Faculty of Clinical Informatics. Hello. Mandy Griffin, CIO at Calderdale and Huddersfield NHS Foundation Trust and also Digital Health CIO of the Year in 2019. Hello. And we have Natasha Phillips, CNIO at the University College London Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust and of course the newly announced CNIO for NHSX. Hello. And I believe you're also Digital Health CNIO of the Year in 2019. I was. Many yes. accolades underneath your belt there. <laughs> <laughs> so we are recording on site at Rewired, which has so far been a really fun few days. Uh, one of the biggest themes of our event this year is diversity and inclusion, and we've heard from some really, really incredible people on the subject. At yesterday's Leadership Summit, we heard from Tech UK President Jacqueline de Rojas, who told us that underrepresentation of women and minority groups across healthcare is risking unconscious bias being built into new technologies, uh, which ultimately is going to put patients at risk, so that's something we really need to avoid. We also heard from the fantastic Shuri Network, who discussed the need for everyone to take responsibility for improving diversity, uh, saying that diversity shouldn't be outsourced to HR networks, we all need to own you know, the move forward to making sure everyone is represented in the NHS. Today at the Expo, we've had an update from NHSX Chief Matthew Gould, giving us a bit more information around the newly announced aspirant programme. Uh, so we now know that the digital aspirants are going to be announced between uh, now and 2024 in WAVE. So it's going to be interesting to see what goes on with that, because it's sort of following on from the GDE programme that we've had for the last few years. And later on, we're going to be hearing from journalist and author Caroline Criado-Perez on the importance of eliminating gender data gaps. Um, this isn't just a matter of representation, this is a matter of safety and ultimately women's lives, so that's going to be a really good talk as well. Plus, we've got so much more going on over all seven of our tracks. We've covered everything from AI to interoperability and digital transformation. I don't think we've missed anything, really. I could go on about it, but we've only got a short amount of time, so... Let's get into the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, everyone. Have you all enjoyed Rewired so far? Yes. Yeah? What's your highlights been? Wow, it's a bit difficult to say what highlight stands out the most, but there's been a few for me. So I came to the Leadership Summit yesterday and heard Jacqueline's speech um, around diversity inclusion. I think the bit that stands out for me is I think there's a, a varying in experience when it comes to where working in areas where you think it has been really diverse or people have been included or women have been allowed to um, get onto their career paths. I think there's a real mix across the whole NHS, probably and beyond, where experiences have been very, very different. I think that's what stood out for me. Yeah. I mean, speaking about women getting onto their career paths, like something we're really, really passionate about at Rewired is connecting healthcare leaders and also promoting the people that are doing the really good work that they're doing. Um, can I ask all of your opinions as women? How have you found it, sort of getting yourselves onto the career path you're all on now? Because you're all very successful at what you're doing. So how have you found the move as a woman in the industry? Um, well, if I want to... Uh reflect on mine so mine hasn't been I have to say my career path in the informatics or digital space was not planned 
Um, it's, I admit, something I fell into a number of years ago with the start of the National Programme for IT. And at the time, I was a pharmacist, practicing pharmacist. Um, and it was once I got into the space that I recognised it was a really great platform and opportunity to make some fundamental change in the way that healthcare was being delivered. And so I stuck with it. And I've had lots of opportunities. I've had great sponsors. I've had people that have believed in me along the way. But I haven't followed a, any structured path. I've sort of just looked for opportunities and some of them have fallen into my lap or, or some of them I've applied for. Um, but I don't think that's the way it should continue. I think there should be more structure um, to help people that are actually wanting to progress along the yeah. path. The jobs falling into your lap thing seems to be a theme among a lot of the women that I speak to that are in the industry. So the opportunity was there, so they took it, but it wasn't something that they necessarily sought. And maybe that's because they didn't know that it was available to them, or maybe that's because it's seen as a really male dominating because I don't see myself um, as... Um, I don't see myself in an industry or in digital healthcare. I see myself in healthcare. I'm first and foremost a nurse, um, and so I work with, um, I have worked with digital technologies and informatics in order to advance nursing practice. So I've been interested in transforming healthcare since the day I arrived really and thought what's going on here, surely we could organise this better. Um, and as time has gone on, that some of those changes have become more and more digital because actually that's the way our world is and so one can't really conceive of enabling nursing practice without looking to digital technologies or data science. So really um, I, I, um, I would like to see us move forward to where we're not talking about mm. digital nursing or every nurse being an e-nurse but talking about um, good healthcare for our patients provided by nurses and other clinicians who have the um, technology and the information and support they need in order to deliver that. And my takeaway from today, I think, is that I see that happening more and more. So this event grows and grows. More and more people are here. There's much more going on in this space. And I hope we do more of that. But I'm a little bit mindful of not talking in an echo chamber of people who are interested in digital, but talk more as a wider healthcare community. Yeah, I completely agree with that because my career started as a doctor and so women and men and BMA and everyone is pretty much treated the same. I don't remember any discrimination of any level through my career. And then I sort of morphed into digital, still doing clinical, because as Natasha says, it, it makes it more efficient and you could see it could bring better care to patients in a quicker place, bringing it at the right time, in the right space, by the right people, which without digital you can't do that. So it, and just as Inka says, you, 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 I didn't really think of starting out like that. It happened like that and then look to increasing what we want through efficiencies and, and better care for the patient. But I think in terms of the women element of it and the diversity piece, that needs to move faster. We haven't got to where we need to be. So um, 
I come from a very gendered profession. Our history is steeped in our gender because it's women's work or yeah. deemed to be women's work by others, um, but, you know, caring and sometimes not as valued as it should be in terms of everyone else's contribution to healthcare. Um, and I'm used to working primarily with women because we are a predominantly female workforce. So coming into the digital space required me to think and operate differently and have different conversations. And sometimes it was difficult. And sometimes I looked around the room and said, where are the people that look like me or think like me? Um, and it's really important that those spaces become more diverse because we need to make sure that um, we are delivering change that meets the needs of our community and by having representation of more women, more people from BAME backgrounds, more um, different professions, the breadth of diversity can only um, increase the sort of creativity of the conversations, which will deliver better services to yeah. our patients. Just about to ask you that, and I feel like it is a very obvious question, but needs to be asked, you know, why is it so important that we get diversity and inclusion right, particularly in healthcare? So I... I've come from a very different background, so I've only spent the last 10 years in, in healthcare, having spent 27 years in a career in the private sector, very much looking at uh, driving customer service, giving great service. So it was sort of really easy to translate that into how do we deliver great patient care, but also how do we support the workforce by giving them great service so they can deliver great patient care. So again, that I've come from diversity background more from it because my career path didn't start in healthcare and I think it's really good that I was welcomed into the NHS and my path's been pretty straightforward I've grasped the opportunity um, but I, I just felt really welcomed here and I felt that all the experience I did have I could put to some use mm. in a very different environment I've got a non-techie background, but I care about people, and that makes me care about patients, and it makes me care about the people I work with as well, and I think that's been really useful. One of our colleagues, who we all know, uh, articulates this really well. So um, Sonia Patel would say mm. that it is about cognitive diversity, and that cognitive diversity stems from having people from all different backgrounds, mm -hmm. different career experiences, um, to bring that to, to, to bear really. So it's about um, having lots of different ways of thinking about problems in order to solve that problem. Yeah. That's, that's the key to the diversity thing. Yeah, of course. And when we, when we get that diversity right, how does that then translate through innovation and the technologies that we're seeing coming through? What are the benefits we're gonna see? Um, being able to hardwire it right from the start, so that so that the scary thing about what uh, Jacqueline was talking about yesterday, um, what I've been hearing over the last few months about AI and the bias and the, you know the bias that we're hardwiring into these algorithms scary, is that it? if we don't do the diversity thing properly, we will end up with algorithms, for example, that um, that have unintended consequences of excluding people and actually what we're yeah. trying to achieve is including, including people, people. so 
also not ex- not just excluding people, but not giving them what they need. Yeah. So assuming one solution fits one, you know, one community. Um, I think when we hear from Caroline Criado Perez, she talks really well about this uh, data bias that runs through, you know, for, for many many years, um, and how that will impact in terms of devising treatments that are based on studies of the standard human, which in data terms means a man. And therefore, you're not going to then deliver what um, other non-standard, whatever that is, people (laughs) um, need. So um, that's essentially, you know, you're going to design in problems. Imagine being described as (laughs) non-standard. I'm reading her book at the moment, and every time I sort of think about the fact that just I'm described as non-standard. It's yeah. just it's it baffles me, particularly in healthcare, because it's people's lives. But what it reminds me of is you know the car seat belt thing. Yes. That always cuts into my neck because yes. I am yeah. non-standard. non-standard. I am yes. a small female, and every time I have that, it reminds me of Caroline's book and the power of it. And I think, you see, this is why we need to fix this stuff because it's really annoying. <laughs> yes, but also Jacqueline referenced that yesterday, yesterday yes. when she was talking about it. Was only since was it two thousand and. 11? Yes, yes, quite recent. Quite Very recent. recently, yeah, they yeah. only came they out with the algorithms. Yeah. Um, uh, you know the the air the airbag that yeah. that can support women yes. rather than men. Yeah. Wow. And that's just a few years it's shocking, ago. Shocking, isn't that's it? That's terrible. And, and a really basic thing from now. One of my like key ambitions is the NHS app is amazing. I can now not have to go through the receptionist at my GP surgery. I can see the appointments and I'm empowered. Um, and, and anyone who's tried to get through their GP receptionist probably knows the sort of joy that that would bring. <laughs> yeah. But mostly I don't ring for appointments for me. I, I'm a woman of a certain age, so I'm caring for people at both ends of the spectrum. And if I could have the app by proxy, that would free up an enormous amount of time as a, as a working woman. And so for me, that's a really small thing that affects a great deal of people that would make a massive difference. Mm-hmm. And I think, who designed, you know, why haven't we got to that point yet? Is it just because it's difficult, which it may well be, and um, because obviously there's even more IG with proxy, or is it because we haven't had a woman at the table going, do you know what, we just need to sort this out? Um, well, yeah, it might be. It might be. Maybe if we get more women at the table, we'll know for sure. We yes. Can eliminate the, we can eliminate the possibilities there. Um, Julia, I wanted to talk to you a little bit as well about the importance of diversity when developing digital solutions like Coordinate My Care. You know, how at, at Coordinate My Care are you incorporating diversity into the work you're doing and how does it then better represent patients that you're working with? Well, in our own team, we pretty much 50-50 BME and what do you call us, non-standard, whatever we are, non-standard. <laughs> Women. And, yeah. and then there, there are cohorts of patients that have been completely neglected. For example, the homeless. Everyone told us the homeless wouldn't want a Kepler, and they certainly wouldn't want a digital Kepler. So we went and did some research, and we interviewed 87 homeless people under bridges, on the sidewalks, and the most fascinating thing happened. Every patient, call them what you will, had, an, had very many medical issues, but also wanted to tell us what they wanted. So one chap said, I've got cancer of the lung, I'm living on the street, but when I'm really, really dying, can you take me to a hospice and call my relatives from Ireland? Because then they will know I will be dying, so I won't upset them again, but I want to say sorry and I want to stay there. And we got stories of the people on the streets that just were so moving. 
And so we've now started a whole program creating care plans, digital care plans that are linked to all the urgent care services. So when the, the homeless are picked up on the street, they're not strangers to the urgent care services. And I think they're one of the most marginalized groups in society. And if you don't ask, they can't tell you. So I think getting over most of these is to include them and ask them what they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting form of representation as well because you know it, it's the groups that you don't necessarily think to include that actually really need a voice. And the way we're running at the moment, I don't want to like you know I don't want to badmouth everyone. It's not always it's not always the case, but it does seem to be that it's not necessarily going in that direction. Can I give you a really great example of, of where the, there's been an active approach to include marginalised groups? So. Uh, just last weekend, actually over a series of a couple of weekends, there was a big citizen summit in London um, to get the the views and input from a hundred Londoners about how they wanted their data to be shared. And um, highly successful, hugely successful. Um, and there were they recognised that there were some marginalised groups like homeless people, um, maybe some people with disabilities who couldn't attend the sessions. But they ha- they're going to go out to those groups to right. sort of validate what was discussed in the in the citizen summit with those marginalised groups to make Fantastic. sure that everyone's voice has been heard. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. so important when you're talking about care, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So you're working with DigitalHealth.London, mm-hmm. uh, which runs an accelerated program as well, which we've covered a bit in the past. How, as an organisation, are you working towards you know, diversity and inclusivity and how are you encouraging the startups that are coming to you to focus on that as part of their agenda? Um, yeah, so uh, one of the things that we have observed over the last few years that we've been running is that we don't get enough applications either on the Accelerator or on our fellowship programme from um, people from uh, you know, BME groups in particular. So I think we've taken a much more proactive approach to to go out and find those people. And often that means identifying the networks that they are more um, affiliated to. Um, It could be going to speak at events. Um, It's also down to the language that you use when you're advertising opportunities because sometimes um, people think that the opportunity is not for them. Um, So we've really sort of uh, made a huge effort in making sure that we're not unintentionally excluding groups in the way that we advertise things. Um, And also the other thing is um, having role models, um, which is really key. So people identify with people that look like them. So we will, where possible, um, create case studies uh, around, um, you know, different uh, demographic groups so that people can identify with those yeah and that sounds like it's something that's very easily done by other organizations yes. um so is that, is that something that's you know easy to lift and do you know if you're working for another organization just encourage people from different backgrounds to become involved it is but it has to be seen as not just an initiative or a project mm-hmm. yeah. it has to become the dna of the organization mm-hmm. so it's you know it, it's part of what we do. This is how we operate around here. Um, and that's more difficult to achieve. And I yes. think most organisations are still on that journey. Yeah. It's an entire change of the way we yes. think, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which is hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask a little bit about the risks. Um, I know we've touched on that a little bit uh, in the last you know, day or so at Rewired, but I want to talk about the risks of not being diverse and not being inclusive when we're designing digital technologies. Like, 
because patient patient safety plays a huge part in this, especially when we're talking about you know, AI and you know all these different technologies that are coming through. So, what are the risks if we don't get it right? Patient safety mm. has got to be a key key risk. You know, it's something. Uh, and again, Jack, going back to Jacqueline's presentation, first presentation on yesterday morning, she she shared some stories with us that you could clearly see. If we don't get this right, then you are putting your patients at risk, and that's what we've got to try and stop. Yeah, it's what we're, everyone's in healthcare for, really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I am not a clinician by background, yeah. but it doesn't take much to understand that you know you can you can influence that just like a clinician can influence that just in a very different way. But also, um, there's safety in this process, but access. I think it has a potential impact for access. Um, and if we think about the long term plan and really think broader than the patient but the citizen and thinking about your homeless example if if we don't get design right we don't get the opportunity to give people access to services they need to stay well yeah and to be managed when they're not well um and we will um limit their um ability to self-care we won't think about the right things that make it easy for them to be in charge of their own well-being, which increases the burden on us to deliver care. Mm. And I guess, and that has an impact on outcomes, right? So yes. if you hardwire bias into a digital solution, that means that a particular group is discriminated against for whatever reason, um, then you're not going to achieve the outcome, the sort of population-wide outcomes yes. that you set out to achieve. I think yeah. it'll be interesting how we um, approach the coronavirus um, piece. It's Simon Eccles spoke at our session this morning. He was the first speaker, and he took five minutes to talk about us accelerating um, different technology that we could put out there in the community, in our hospitals, to make sure that should anybody be isolated by by not being able to come to work or uh, need testing and we don't want them to travel into a hospital and cause any any further uh, infections. We're really going to have to put our thinking cap on to see how we do that. And you know maybe we will learn from that too because we're having to do it quickly. Uh, and But we need to be in a position where it's not something we're thinking about now because of what's happened. It's we should be we should be there we should be getting yeah. there regardless. But that particular of the example is going to force Jeez. the powers that be to make yeah. quick decisions. Absolutely. And they they they've been faffing around for so long, <laughs> <laughs> and because of the national program, nothing must come from the top down. It's got to be built up. You wait and you wait and you wait. Now with Corona, they've actually got to say this is a crisis. We need to know and we need to take some big decisions to make sure it's sorted, yeah, which will drive digital quickly. Yes, and that leads me very nicely into leadership. I want to talk about leadership. I think it's fair to say that you're all leaders in your field, which is so impressive. Um, but I want to talk about what we need to be doing from the top. And, you know, what organisations like NHSX and NHS England and NHS Digital, what, what do they actually need to be doing to encourage diversity in leadership? Because on the ground, as we mentioned earlier, uh, before we started recording, Natasha, nursing is very diverse, we've got a lot of women. Um, social care is very diverse. The higher up the leadership um, ladder you go, I guess, uh, the less and less diverse it tends to become. Um, so how, how do we change that? How do we stop, I don't want to ruffle too many feathers, but it is still a white man's game in the NHS at the top. And I'm, you know, How do we 
How do we stop that going forward and sort of create a leadership that is diverse? Well, I think if we go back to exactly what you said, it needs to be better structured. So if you, you can spot leaders anywhere, and actually there should be proper training programs so that people of all backgrounds, you can train people to be very good leaders. So you can certainly train them to be very good managers, and then out of those you can train a few leaders. But it, if you have a baseline where everybody is able to go into the training program, it is about training, which... It's about training and providing um, support opportunities mm -hmm. to all where, you know, where, where, you know, where that individual has the potential, basically. Um, so that means at the basic level, you know, um, if an individual has potential, irrespective of where they're from, making sure they get the coaching or the mentorship, making sure that their PDPs reflect, reflect their ambitions and giving them the support to, to try and progress those ambitions mm -hmm. um, is really, really important. And thinking about, I mean, I guess for the, for the top, it just starts with listening and listening at all levels and hearing what other people's experiences are. If we talked about the Digital Academy, I don't know what the BAME makeup is, but I'm guessing it's not great. For nurses, there were five on this cohort, and we're talking about very big cohorts of the future digital leaders. I don't know about the female makeup, but we need to go back and understand um, why people don't feel they can access those opportunities and nurture them and coach them and develop them to enable them to have them the opportunities. But also check there's not unconscious bias written into the criteria so that when those people apply, they have a good chance of getting in. And if I think back to nurses and clinical academic careers and the opportunities created by the NIHR, what we found was nurses couldn't get there because they hadn't had the stuff that got them to the point where they could apply for a PhD. So we have to invest all the way back down there over a long period of time in order to get people to the level where they can come to the table and say, hey, I'm ready to be your next digital leader. Completely agree. And to be fair to NHSX, they did actually take on the feedback um, with respect to the, I think it was the CNIO role yes. recently, yes. where they were criticised for yeah. potential unconscious bias in the way that the job advert was worded. They took it offline, they amended it, whatever. Um, so yeah, yeah, so I think they are listening, actually. Yeah. They did it very quickly They did well. it very quickly, very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, but it is things mm. like that. I think there's a part for all of us to play. So even though you might have the best Digital Academy uh, course or all these different courses that we can all go and go and be, be part of, I think there's something about those of us that are already there doing some work to try and act as the role model, you mentioned the role yes. model earlier, to actually show people that there is a career. And the other important bit for me, we're not looking for technologists. No. You're mm. not a technologist, Natasha. Mm. Yeah. And actually, we're looking for the leadership skills beyond the technology bit. Mm. And, and I Which think was a great thing that yeah. Matthew Gould said today. Yes. yes. Technical leadership. That's the and promotion. Yes. Not, um, come and join informatics people. Yes. Come and be a leader. Yeah. And yeah. by yeah. the way, it's going to be digital. Uh -huh. yeah. And that kind of links into a really great point that um, Ijeoma, um, as Oju spoke about yesterday in her presentation for the Shuri Network, where she said it's about building the right teams. Yes. Yeah. And making sure that team is made up of a, a diverse set of skills that are right for that particular task.
Um, so yeah, it could be IT people, it could be clinicians, it could be porters, it doesn't matter, but making sure that the team is right for the for the objective and the outcome that you're trying to and achieve. I think a really simple thing that you can do that we do in our organisation, UCLH currently, is a reverse mentorship scheme. So we have a BAME reverse mentorship scheme and it's really good as a leader to, to walk Mali someone else's shoes and shadow them and they have so much to offer um, and in terms of opening your eyes and educating to you to what's going on in your organisation that you can take back as a leader to try and do things differently. Brilliant idea. Yeah. So, yes, brilliant, brilliant idea. Um, Mandy and Natasha, you're also part of our digital health networks, yes. um, which you know connect a lot of leaders that are already working within NHS IT. Um, I wanted to ask how platforms like this and other networks are going to help underrepresented people, um, you know, within the NHS, and also to help foster innovation. You know, are, are these sorts of things that we need to be looking at, you know, more widely? Absolutely, I think. Um, if I look about, look over the last 12 months particularly since I was awarded CIO of the year and part of the advisory panel, I feel as though I've got a whole new network of people that I can tap into that had I not been exposed to this in the first place or even made the effort to come along because sometimes your day job's really busy and you don't want to spend two days away from that because you don't feel as though you can afford to do that. You absolutely need to do that. People need to come to these events because the networking and the people you see and the leadership you see inspires you. And that's the only way we're going to try and get even more and more people to, to join in. I, um, I sort of nominated myself to go onto the advisory panel as a bit of a, I'll give it a go. And actually, when I think back, it, it's probably one of the best things I've done to oh, do that's that. Really good. One of the that's best nice things to hear. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I would just say that when I um, first started CNIO at UCLH, I think these um, networks were a lifeline. So actually, uh, nursing has been an underrepresented voice um, in in uh, digital healthcare, and the digital health network having its own CNIO network has been really helpful in terms of reaching out to people. Yes, to get inspired, but also just to have practical uh, advice from people and to pick up the phone to someone up the road to say I'm doing this at the moment um, what do you how's it gone for you that sort of thing I think the more networks the better um, but being really clear as well about um, where the shared space is and not diversifying too yeah. much if we think about that CNIO conversation yeah. today you know there are 19 different CNIO networks and I'm like this wow. is great and people need them they've all got their own place but we need one strong voice. And when I was at the summer school, I was so blown away by the Shuri network. I said, these people have got it together. These women know what they're talking, you know, they have mobilized themselves and thought about what's the one clear thing that we want to do, what's our one ambition, and they, you know, move forward and woke us all up to something. And I think that the nursing community probably needs to do something similar. Yeah. Can I just so, say, sorry, that the, the networks also um, also need to be available for people that, and not maybe at the senior levels yes. in their career. Um, so one of the networks that we we try to create at digitalhealth.london is for more of the middle managers and, and, and people sort of at the, the levels slightly below. Um, and they have seen the power of those networks, um, yeah. even just in terms of peer-to-peer -peer support, um, access to opportunities, um, it's been phenomenal, you know, yeah. they've really grown through having like-minded people that they can share experiences with and learn from. 
Yeah. And on the topic of leadership, I would be the worst journalist in the world if I didn't ask you about your new role at NHSX as uh, our first national CNIO, which is really exciting. Are you able to talk a bit about, you know, when you start, what you're hoping to achieve, um, what your next 12 months is going to look like? <laughs> I'll give it a go. It's Come very on. early days. Um, so I start on the 20th of April. Um, I'm really excited to be doing this because when we just talked about networks, when I started, you know, joining networks was a lifeline, but I was looking for where's the leadership in nursing for this and where, how do we move forward? And I really felt that you need uh, top to bottom clinical leadership. So we need, need a really strong leader at the top table to create the culture where some of this stuff can happen. Um, so I was delighted when they um, finally said, yes, we're going to have a national CNIO. Um, so for me, top um, um, things on my mind at the moment, although clearly a lot to learn when I get into post to think about the what's deliverable and what's not and how you make things work. But diversity, funnily enough, is one of the top things on my agenda. Um, releasing time to care, enabling nurses to be the best nurses that they can be and deliver the best patient care that they can um, through good technologies and, and stopping nurses being digitally done to, but allowing them to step into the space to take up leadership roles so that they inform the tech that they end up with um, are key priorities for me, I think. And then finally, professionalisation um, and making sure we have a, a whole nursing community that needs to be digitally able. But I see this as a branch of advanced clinical practice. So we need to make sure that if we are going to say that this is advanced clinical practice and we have people that can get to ultimately to the CNIO role, that we define what those roles look like, that the standards are very clear of what they are and the education's in place. And that comes back as well to access and equality and diversity, I think. Yeah, in. definitely. Well, I could spend hours talking about this topic and talking about why we need to help women, um, but I have to wrap it up because we are running out of time. But before we do, I just want to ask each of you um, if you could offer one piece of advice to women and uh, people from BAME backgrounds who are you know, working within the NHS or you know, even from tech backgrounds that are looking to get involved in the NHS, what would your piece of advice be? Hmm. <laughs> You're all thinking very hard now. <laughs> Find a good mentor. Yeah. Is that something that you felt helped you? Yes. Yeah. Grasp the opportunity. So whilst there'll be programs coming down the line, look for them yourself. Don't wait for somebody to get you there. You know, try and get there yourself. Have a look for your own opportunity and make your own path as well. Try and resist si being in a silo. Mm. So try and resist um, being comfortable in your own little silo and, and reach out, really. And reach out as, as broadly as you can, actually. Excellent. And with that, be curious. So always be curious and keep starting new conversations when you reach out because every conversation has potential. Excellent. Well, Mandy, Julia, Yinka and Natasha, thank you so, so much for joining me this afternoon. It's been so much fun and you guys have been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.